My name is Mark Gibson, and you're listening to the podcast version of the Chagask Signpost series, a weekly webinar that promotes and examines sustainability in Irish farming. Good morning, and you're welcome to this morning's webinar. My name is Pat Murphy. I'm Head of uh, Environment Knowledge Transfer with, with Chagask. Today, we're joined by uh, Dr. Donald O'Brien, Research Officer with, with Chagask in, in Johnstown Castle. Uh, Donald's topic is, is carbon, carbon sequestration in, in grassland. And we're also to, uh, joined by Parag Foley to help out with uh, questions at the end of the presentation. Thanks. Uh, during uh, my uh, talk this morning, I'll give, um, I suppose, just an introduction to the Green Deal and Climate Action Plan, um, the science and quantification of uh, carbon sequestration in uh, grass, timber grasslands, uh, the impact of land use and land management on carbon sequestration and cover a bit about <clears throat> climate neutral livestock farming. So the European Green Deal is um, a new growth strategy for Europe that aims to create um, new jobs, a cleaner environment and a better quality of life. Um, the first woman president of the European Commission um, Ursula von der Leyen wants Europe to become uh, the first climate neutral uh, continent in the world by 2050. Um, and the expected benefits of this are uh, less pollution, more affordable energy, um, and more sustainable food production. So it's largely built around the circular economy. So moving from a linear to a circular economy uh, in, a, in a way that the economy gives more than it uh, takes away. The European Union is investing a trillion euro in the Green Deal, and it expects this investment will be give uh, businesses the confidence to make uh, long-term decisions on environmentally responsible projects. So the farm to fork strategy is at the heart of the European Green Deal. Um, it uh, will generate fair economic returns for all actors in, in the food chain, um, ensure uh, food is available and nutritious and more sustainable. Um, it wants to reconcile, I suppose, what consumers can eat with, with the requirements of the planet. Um, so by reducing the environmental and carbon footprint um, of food production and consumption. So I guess the key part of this um, in the farm to fork strategy is the, the low carbon farming initiative. So this aims to promote practices that will remove carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. So to curb the impact of climate change um, and for doing this, um, farmers and producers will be rewarded through the common agricultural policy and through public and private um, initiatives or carbon markets. So in Ireland, um, the Climate Action Plan is largely consistent or aligns with the, the long-term goals of the Green Deal and the Farm to Fork strategy. Um, the action, the Irish Action Plan outlines the the measures Ireland will take to meet its um, greenhouse gas emission uh, commitments for the effort sharing regulation for the next period, twenty twenty to twenty thirty. Um, it sets decarbonisation targets. Uh, for each sector of the economy, and will require uh, concerted action from all of these sectors. So the challenge for agriculture is to meet these, um, to meet its greenhouse gas emission targets, uh, while ensuring um, it produces uh, sustainable amounts of, of food for for the population of Europe and, and elsewhere. Um, so within that then, um, the Government Action Plan expects the sector will deliver the total amount of uh, carbon credits or the carbon flexibility allocated to Ireland, which is 26.8 megatons of carbon dioxide. So to put that in context, this chart shows uh, the 
total amount of greenhouse gas emissions emitted by the are covered by the effort sharing regulation in Ireland. So about on average, the sector emits 40 to 45 megatons of CO2 equivalent per annum. And the projections show that this will um, um, look, it looks like this uh, level of uh, emissions will uh, not really change over the period unless uh, new strategies for reducing emissions or increasing carbon sequestration are introduced. So in, our, in 2018, Ireland exceeded its uh, binding national emission limit by about five megatons of carbon dioxide equivalent. Agriculture and transport represents uh, 75% approximately of the emissions covered under the effort sharing regulation. Um, the EPA projects that Ireland will exceed its carbon budget over the 2020 to 2030 uh, period of this regulation by uh, 52 to 67 megatons of carbon dioxide equivalent. Uh, without the flexibilities of, of carbon sequestration uh, and DTS credits. Um, so when we include the flexibilities, um, the gap narrows. So instead of, uh, so the, the gap narrows to an overshoot of between seven to 22 megatons of carbon dioxide equivalents over the period. And this assumes that the carbon sequestration uh, will be fully delivered by the sector for, by the sector that it, it, that uh, sequestration occurs in. So agriculture, forestry, and land use. So over the period, agriculture emissions are expected to grow gradually, uh, and this is mainly due to an expected increase or maintenance of the size of, of the national herd. So as you're probably well aware, the, the three main um, pillars of the, green, the, of the Chagas greenhouse gas mitigation strategy are uh, firstly to reduce agricultural greenhouse gas emissions by improving the efficiency and productivity of our uh, production systems and to displace um, fossil fuels with bioenergy and, and improve energy efficiency. And lastly, then, um, to enhance uh, the sequestration of carbon in our soils, um, in our grasslands, and, and in, our, um, in our forestry. So I'll mainly uh, co I'll cover the carbon sequestration in uh, temperate grassland. So before I get into carbon sequestration, I'll just, uh, just cover the carbon cycle. So the first step of the cycle is the, is the uh, absorption of CO2 and uh, also water um, from, from the atmosphere and the surroundings um, by plants and the use of sunlight to produce organic carbon by photosynthesis. Um, the carbon then that is assimilated or uh, photosynthesized by the plants or vegetation, some of that carbon dioxide is respired or used up for energy uh, and lost back to the atmosphere. Carbon is also then respired by the animals through uh, respiration as well um, when they consume or digest the feed. Um, so you get carbon dioxide and you get methane loss as well. Um, in the vegetation that is not utilized by um, plants or by the animals is uh, decomposed by microbes uh, and during that process carbon dioxide is also released to the atmosphere. Um, the decomposed carbon then that is left over moves into the soil pool so it moves into the organic matter pool and there's two um, pools within uh, organic matter. So there's the active carbon pool in, in the top soil, and then there's uh, the passive carbon that's uh, deeper down the profile uh, that is less, less available uh, and less prone to carbon loss. So some of the active carbon in the label pool can be uh, uh, lost to the atmosphere or dissolved as well. Then finally, there's the hydrocarbons. So 
are, they're usually found uh, very deep underground um, and are removed for are extracted for the production of energy and petrochemicals. Uh, so when that occurs, uh, carbon is released and uh, use of these carbons for energy production um, in are for the, for the powering of machinery releases carbon dioxide as well. Um, and some of the carbon then that is spread um, on the land by machinery using tankers is returned back to the soil. So that's um, an overview of the carbon cycle and carbon sequestration is part of this cycle. So it's a natural biological process. Um, so I suppose the main phases of the process are largely the, the steps that I showed you there at the beginning of the carbon cycle. Um, so during the process, the carbon that is assimilated um, or photosynthesized by the plants is transferred uh, into the soil and into wood and, and fixed in those, uh, in those substances. Um, so the difference between um, the carbon that is photosynthesized and the carbon that is respired gives an indication as to the amount of carbon that is sequestered. So the gross carbon sequestration, um, roughly speaking, is the difference between uh, photosynthesis and respiration. So the main factors that influence carbon sequestration are um, climate, uh, the type of soil, land use, and land management. So in Ireland, our climate is humid and, and temperate, so that uh, produces uh, conditions that are favorable uh, to the storage of carbon in our soil and the sequestration of carbon. Um, in other regions or more arid zones where there's prolonged periods of drought, um, the uptake of carbon is usually um, by plants is usually less than the release of carbon back to the atmosphere. So the amounts of carbon stored in soil is usually lower. And as a result, sequestration um, are not as a result, but um, it, the sequestration levels are lower or you might get ca or carbon loss levels are, are higher. The type of soil then has a major impact or bearing on the amount of carbon that um, is stored. So um, I suppose within mineral soil types, um, so heavier soils with more clay and particles tend to store or store more carbon than sandier soils. Um, they have more capacity to hold carbon within their uh, aggregates um, than lighter uh, sandier soils. And then the peatier or heavier soil types um, or organic soils um, store uh, very large amounts of carbon um, because I they're, um, they can't, they don't uh, decompose the, the organic matter um, because they're saturated from, from large parts of the year and, and as a result carbon tends to build up in these uh, soil types. In terms of land use, um, so land, uh, the categories of land that hold the most, or the category of land that holds the most carbon is forestry, uh, followed by, uh, or the category of land that holds the most carbon is actually uh, the wetlands, followed by usually forestry, grassland, and arable lands. Um, so, the reasons for, I suppose, the higher levels of carbon in grassland and forestry compared to tillage land is because uh, the land is not exposed uh, or the land is um, under constant vegetation. So as a result, then, then the carbon is less exposed to the atmosphere and uh, there's less chance or risk of carbon being released back, back into the atmosphere um, from, from, the diff from the soil aggregates. Um, so, then in terms of land management, 
looking at grassland management and it tends to favor good so grazing tends to uh, speculate to hold more carbon than cutting or uh, harvesting of silage because um, the manure and uh, nutrients are being recycled back onto the land by the animals um, so they're less likely to be or they're immediately recycled so they're less likely to be lost um, uh, when slurry is returned back to the soil or, or if it is returned back to the same area where, where the silage has been cut uh, on, uh, on leaves or temporary grasslands um, the plowing of lands uh, increases the area of soil exposed to the air, air or atmosphere and that again increases the risk of carbon loss to the atmosphere. So there's many factors to consider in carbon sequestration and obviously then as a result um, the quantification of carbon sequestration is quite complicated so there's I suppose three principal uh, aspects to the quantification of sequestration uh, so there's the measurement, soil sampling and flux towers, uh, the modeling of carbon flows within the vegetation, the soil and the atmosphere, and then the mapping of soil carbon as well. So measuring soil organic carbon um, is a challenging uh, challenging task because um, it's a slow, very slow process um, and you're trying to measure it against a very large background of carbon. So in the IPCC guidelines or, or the National Inventory Guidelines, it's usually the, the, the top 10, 30 centimeters of carbon that is measured. And this is where the majority of carbon within the soil is. And this is um, the most also labeled or active carbon pool, as I mentioned earlier on. Um, then there's uh, the carbon further down in, in the soil profile. So this is um, more stable um, carbon that is held in the soil for long periods of time. There is less carbon further down in the profile that is thought. Um, it's um, referred to as recalcitrant carbon or, or passive carbon and detecting changes in, in this pool of carbon uh, requires um, a large amount of sampling um, over long periods of time. And I suppose this is challenging maybe to do in, practic in practical terms because you need to I suppose go uh, further deeper into the soil with maybe with equipment and um, that is more expensive than simple uh, augering or soil sampling so it's a challenge uh, to measure and there's a, I suppose a debate as to how deep down uh, the soil needs to be sampled to capture uh, an accurate measure of, of the overall soil profile so from 50 centimeters to one meter um, is kind of where the area is recommended between that area. So instead of measuring carbon, or another method to measure carbon is to measure carbon fluxes using flux towers. So these are not a replacement for soil sampling, they're just, um, I suppose, an addition uh, or a quick way or quicker way of monitoring a daily or changes in carbon um, over a long period of time so soil carbon samples are really the the gold standard for measuring carbon and the carbon fluxes and the measurement output from it are validated against those uh, soil carbon samples so this is just a picture of um, one of the flux towers. I think it's in either in Johnstone Castle or, or Solihead, and it's um, it measures the net exchange of carbon uh, daily and annually. So the, the tower measures the carbon flux uh, on a on a daily basis. As I said it measures it um, very often, ten times per second, every second of the day. 
and so their expensive equipment uh, and measure a massive amount of data. Um, wind speed and carbon dioxide mixing ratios are kind of the main uh, measures that are used to work out the carbon dioxide exchange. And the difference between um, the carbon that is uh, taken up um, and the carbon that is released is um, worked out from, from these, uh, these measures. So the frequent measurement of the carbon gases uh, in a grassland by these towers um, is useful to detect um, the impact of weather, climate, or management on carbon. So this is um, a chart from the work of Gary Lanigan uh, showing the impact that a dry summer had on the levels of carbon in, or the, the rates of carbon in the ecosystem. So in very dry summers, the level of carbon losses or respiration is much higher. Uh, the towers are also good as well to give an indirect estimate of, of how much vegetation is grown in the, in the field or in the ecosystem. Um, and maybe can be kind of used as a way of measuring the amount of grass that is utilized um, on a research trial or in a research setting. So this chart uh, gives uh, an illustration of what you get out from uh, an eddy covariance flux tower. So it shows the, the daily carbon flux rate, whether it's positive or negative, and the cumulative amount of carbon uh, that exchanges in the atmosphere, between the atmosphere and, and the, the land and the soil. So the blue line is photosynthesis, which is a carbon uptake, uh, the red line are is respiration, which is carbon loss, and the difference between the two is the, the carbon exchange, as it's, as it's referred to. So I suppose it's important to point out um, for this measure that it's not um, the carbon exchange that is uh, carbon sequestration, it's actually um, the carbon storage is the, the more important measure so for carbon sequestration. So the carbon exchange that is measured by the equipment has to be adjusted by, for the, the carbon inputs, uh, like fertilizers, removals of forage, and other outputs, and the losses as well, to get the, the net carbon storage or sequestration figure. So the, this chart here, again, from Gary's work uh, and Gary's team's work shows the exchange of carbon in a grassland site in Johnstown Castle over a six-year period. So the carbon ex net carbon exchange is, is much higher than the, the net carbon storage, obviously. So carbon exchange um, range from 15 to less than five tons of carbon dioxide equivalents per hectare per year, whereas the net carbon storage was usually less than two uh, carbon dioxide equivalents per hectare per year. And this was in, in tons, metric tons. So obviously it's not possible, um, I suppose, to, to measure every site in every field. So modeling is an important part of uh, quantifying carbon sequestration at a higher level. Um, so at the, at the farm or regional scale or beyond. So there are the mathematical models that are used um, are developed um, from the, the flux towers and soil carbon measurements and they're parameterized and calibrated using this information. Um, so some of the, the, the most widely used models are the DASIN model, the PASIN model in France. DASIN is originally developed in America. ECOS um, developed in Ireland and, and uh, the Rot C uh, is originally developed in the UK. Um, I think the ECOS might have been developed with European researchers as well. Um, and these models are valid, have, have produced valid estimates of soil carbon when they were compared against uh, flux tower measurements and soil carbon. So they're relatively accurate at, at predicting soil carbon beyond uh, the size or, or field scale. 
One aspect of these models is that they struggle to predict grass growth uh, well, which is a, is a, is a problem in, in getting, I suppose, getting good resolution in the daily changes in carbon. But at a higher level, they're, they're reasonably good at predicting um, soil carbon. They may, they're, we're kind of looking at the moment they're trying to adapt these models to make them more specific to Irish circumstances and over a greater number of uh, soil types uh, and land use or land uses and grassland uh, systems. So the models, um, some of the applications to date have shown um, that um, good farming practices have a positive impact on carbon sequestration. Uh, so they've simulated, we've simulated that improvements in, in soil fertility, uh, soil nutrient status and, and the yeah, pH levels can increase or add carbon to the, to the soil. And similarly, uh, spreading or adding organic manures uh, to soil has, has a favorable impact uh, on soil carbon as well. Um, even current levels of grassland management um, tend to show an improvement in soil carbon, and I'll mention that a bit later on towards the end. Um, and just the final then is that the models are also used to project the impact of climate change on soil carbon. So this graph here is a bit hard, hard to read, but it shows uh, the impact of different uh, temperature increases on the levels of soil carbon. So at higher temperature increases, the amount of carbon in the soil stored in the soil is less. So just to, I suppose, reconcile then carbon sequestration with the, the bigger picture um, of agricultural greenhouse gases uh, on, on, on Irish farms. So as we know, the bovine herd is the principal driver of agricultural emissions. Um, and we've heard, as we've heard in, in earlier talks um, by James Humphreys uh, and Joe Patton and more, that uh, I suppose Irish dairy systems and beef systems are amongst the most carbon or greenhouse gas efficient production systems in Europe and in the world. Um, Improving the efficiency or productivity of these um, production systems further will be um, will be difficult, but there is, as earlier talks have, have outlined, there is ways of doing this. And um, the Chagas Mac or marginal abatement cost curve also uh, outlines in more detail the actions that can be put in put in place to uh, drive down our, our greenhouse gas emissions. Um, Per unit of output, um, but to uh, I suppose achieve or to move towards climate neutrality, we we'll need to enhance the level of carbon storage uh, on our farms to balance the greenhouse gas emissions. So this slide is um, shows um, in the graph here that a typical dairy producer emits about nine tons of carbon dioxide equivalent per hectare and for a beef producer it's uh, less than half of this um, so the main uh, greenhouse gas emissions that are emitted are uh, methane um, which accounts for about 55 percent to 65 percent of the greenhouse budget of a of a, of a bovine beef or dairy production system. So it's the, the largest contributor. Um, nitrous oxide in from fertilizer, from grazing cattle and spreading of manure is generally the second largest source of greenhouse gas on a farm and carbon dioxide in, unlike most sectors is actually the lowest contributor on a, on a beef or dairy farm. Um, However, carbon losses associated with the production of concentrated feeds brought into the system uh, can have a significant impact on the greenhouse gas budget uh, in, some, in some cases. Um, and these effects or these emissions were quantified using a life cycle assessment approach. So 
looking at uh, an average beef production system in Ireland and looking at the greenhouse gas emissions or the greenhouse gas emission efficiency in terms of lightweight uh, gain. Um, uh, the National Farm Survey shows that it's around 12 kilos of carbon dioxide that is emitted uh, per, per unit of weight gain. And generally, as, uh, stock, uh, or as the stocking rate increases and the efficiency improves, the greenhouse gas emission efficiency or the gross greenhouse gas emission efficiency of the production system increases. Um, and for lower stock systems that are less efficient with less, um, are, uh, less output and less grass utilization, the greenhouse gas emission efficiency tends to be, uh, to, tends to be lower, so they have a higher emissions per unit of weight gain. Then when we look at it in terms of carbon sequestration, so we uh, look at the carbon that is sequestered per unit of weight gain, uh, we can see that um, the rates of carbon sequestration may be actually higher on the more extensive or lowly stock systems. However, it's important to say um, that the rate of carbon sequestration is um, likely to be overestimated or, or mightn't be correctly estimated on these systems uh, as the I suppose our level of knowledge around the rates of carbon of the effective stocking rate on the measure um, are not very sensitive so the rate of carbon sequestration on the most intensive or the most efficient systems in terms of grass utilization and production uh, don't differ to ones that have lower levels of utilization and lower stocking rates. So when we look at the net or the gross net greenhouse gas emission then, um, the inclusion of carbon sequestration reduces the greenhouse gas emissions across all beef systems. Um, it's likely that um, the effect uh, may be larger on more extensive beef farms but it, but it needs more research. Um, it's also possible that some of these uh, beef systems could be already uh, climate neutral and that they are maybe managing their grassland very well already um, and sequestering large amounts or that level of, or more of carbon uh, which is offsetting their, their greenhouse balance. Um, so then finally, the amount of carbon sequestered on, on beef and dairy farmers could be, could be enhanced by better farm management or good farming practices. Um, so a typical beef farm emits in about four tons of carbon dioxide equivalent per hectare, as I mentioned earlier. Um, on average, um, carbon sequestration by grassland and hedges um, or hedgerows offsets these emissions by around 45%. But the rate varies from field to field, uh, farm to farm, and from year to year. So as you can see, I have in brackets underneath the variation or standard uh, deviation around these figures. And so you can see that in some cases it might be um, close to zero in some years and much higher in other years or in different farms. So the gross net then is um, the, the, the emission left over after the carbon sequestration is accounted for. So in this hypothetical example, if we were to plant an additional hectare or quarter of a hectare, sorry, uh, with a mixture of conifers and broadleaves, this would enhance the carbon sequestration by about, by about 2.3 tons of carbon dioxide equivalent per hectare, which um, is, um, would probably be sufficient or enough to make a beef farm in this case, or the average beef producer uh, net, net greenhouse gas emission uh, zero or close to zero, or in other words, the farm would be um, climate neutral if they made this change. Alternatively, better are changes in farming practices that add this level of carbon 
would be another way around achieving uh, climate neutrality for, for a beef farm. Then obviously for a dairy farm, the rate of afforestation or planting required to bring a, a dairy farm towards climate neutrality would, is much higher than, than, a, than a beef system. So you'd require two thirds of a hectare or more than double uh, the amount of a beef farm to offset the level of emissions. So to summarize, uh, I suppose it's clear that carbon sequestration has an important role to play in contributing towards delivering climate neutral uh, livestock production systems. So reduces greenhouse gas emissions um, in grass-based livestock systems. Um, I suppose there is still a job of work to, done, to be done in quantifying the amount of uh, greenhouse gases that are actually reduced by sequestration as the rate of uh, the rate of the process is variable and it's uncertain so we need to measure I suppose more sites um, uh, and the larger range of sites uh, more representative of the regional or national picture to get a better handle on, on exactly what carbon sequestration is contributing the, the final slides there I show in the farm level uh, research shows clearly, I guess, that the distance to climate, to climate neutrality targets are, as, it, as, we, as you'd expect, lower on more extensive grass-based uh, livestock production systems, so beef, sheep, or dairy. Uh, achieving the, or moving towards uh, climate neutrality and high output, uh, efficient, uh, productive grass-based uh, beef and dairy systems will be um, more challenging. Um, there is a number of good farming practices that can be implemented to, to get gains in carbon. Um, soil fertility and introducing, um, I suppose some deeper rooting species into sward might be an option in some cases. Our ways of increasing carbon in, in the soil or organic matter levels. And I think, uh, I suppose, rotational grazing and I suppose better grassland management and, and grass budgeting will help in this regard as well. But more research is required to quantify the levels of carbon that will be stored. Um, and finally then, there's, I suppose, a lot of work or a lot of interest in this area. The Nefertiti project is one example of a, a research or a, a demonstration network that is uh, aiming to transfer uh, these practices into practice on commercial or real farm settings to see what is feasible to do on farms and uh, what level of uh, carbon uh, sequestration is likely to occur on, on these systems. And looking at the long-term targets then, I guess it's likely that afforestation and low emission technologies will be needed to achieve these targets. Um, and I guess that um, these have been covered by Gary and others in previous talks and will be discussed in future talks again, I'm sure. So some helpful links that might be useful on the different uh, projects and strategies uh, are available from these links. Um, so that's, that's, that's it, Pat, thanks, thanks for... Okay, if you could uh, just stop sharing there. Thanks very much, Donald. Uh, a lot of information on a, 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 a complex topic we'll remind you to get your questions in uh, using the, the Q&A uh, and we have a number of questions in already. Parit, do you want to just uh, uh, introduce a few of them? Yeah, thanks very much Pat and well done Donald, great presentation. Um, one quick question here just when we're after going over the slide in relation to the I guess the quarter of a hectare of forestry 
required on a beef farm and the two thirds of a hectare required on a dairy farm. The question is, what is your average beef or what's your average dairy farm? If you wouldn't mind just outlining that one, please. So, um, yeah, no, it's a good question and I should have probably explained it in more detail. So in this, these examples are, are average in beef and dairy systems uh, where for beef an average suckler calf to beef system taken from the representative surveys from the National Farm Survey. So the stocking rates, the level of production are all consistent with um, the Chagas roadmaps and, and the, the CSO statistics. And then on the dairy farm again, from the National Farm Survey, we took the information from, from, the, from those statistics and they're explained in a lot of detail in the sustainability reports um, that Cahill Buckley and others would have would put together recently. Okay, Donna, another question just around the increased sequestration. You know, you mentioned forestry, and um, obviously if there's farmers out there that want to do their part and you mentioned good agricultural practices, what other options are there for farmers other than going and planting the ground? So, yeah, other than planting, um, so there's a number of different um, options. Um, so we're talking about... Um, I suppose the first thing is soil testing and, and implementing, I suppose, a, a nutrient management plan is kind of the first step on any farms that aren't doing that already to kind of get a better balance between carbon and nitrogen inputs. Um, liming, as I said, was another one to maybe improve the pH levels or reduce the alkalinity of the soil, but it's usually the acidity is more of a problem. Um, then for farms that maybe have lays or temporary grasslands, if they could maybe uh, increase the period of time that the land is under grassland, um, or make sure the land is covered with some vegetation so it's not exposed, uh, is another way of keeping organic matter in the soil. Um, and then I suppose I mentioned plowing briefly, maybe trying to minimize the use of the plow and, and min-till or um, are kind of the options I think that can have uh, biggest impacts on, on conventional farm or on farms on mineral soils. Okay, thanks very much, folks. Lots of questions coming in. Um, there's one here, Donald. Just extensive high nature value pasture systems cover over 30% of our agri agricultural base. Carbon sequestration sampling on these areas show they have highest stores of carbon. The value of extensive systems needs to be emphasized more place more place benefits for water and biodiversity. What plans are there in place to carry out more work on this substantial part of our land basis in terms of greenhouse gas balances and advice for management? Okay, so I think there is a, a lot of um, work already being done in this respect um, through the Natura schemes, I think. Um, and even the life projects and the barn life are some exa good examples um, that are trying to, I suppose, um, that are maintaining good levels of biodiversity in those systems. Um, and I think as part of the, the signpost farms, there is a, a plan to put in place um, measurement of carbon across a range of different types of farming systems. So maybe these systems or ways of farmings um, could be included or could, there could be a collaboration with other projects uh, like the LIFE projects or Natura projects um, to look at, I suppose, the greenhouse gas balance and carbon sequestration levels on these more extensive uh, systems. We have another one here. If you were to increase your organic matter in your soil by 1%, is there any estimate, Donald, on how many tons of carbon you're sequestering? or any similar kind of benchmarks that people can use themselves? Yeah, so I think uh, that's like, I, I don't think I'd have to take, I, could, I wouldn't have an accurate figure off the top of my head right now, but I know in, the, in France um, and Ireland, I think is contributing towards it as well. They have the four per thousand um, initiative, which is trying to increase 
the level of carbon in the soil by uh, 0.4%, so 1% is probably a much, is a, a large, very large increase, so 0.4% they were estimating was it the equivalent across all of the soils at the global scale of the emissions um, that the world emits for one year. So I couldn't tell you those figures off the top of my head now, but a 1% increase in soil organic matter would be, sounds like it would be a large increase. Yeah. Okay, we were putting you on the spot there, so fair play, it was a good step at it. Um, Donald, sown clover and multi-species swords is something that's come up a couple of times in questions here. And it's it's that it could increase carbon sequestration. Is there anything to show that that volume of sequestration could be better or greater than afforestation? Are you familiar with any research in that area? So I know I only gave a few examples there of the levels of carbon added by good management practices, like um, as I said there a few times, um, better soil fertility. Um, I expect. Um, I suppose deeper rooting species and multi-species swords would uh, probably have would have higher levels of carbon sequestration or additions. But I think compared to forestry, where they're talking about levels of uh, ten tons of carbon dioxide equivalent per hectare or three or four tons per hectare, I don't think they would be near those levels. Um, I could hazard a guess it's less than half or something, but. I'd have to uh, I'd have to look into that in more detail. Okay, that's that's an indication. Um, just going back to the just a bit, little bit of a clarification on the quarter of a ton, quarter of a hectare for beef and three quarter. Sorry, I think it was two thirds, not three quarters. Two thirds of a hectare for dairy. There's a question here just on the rate of afforestation. If we stick with the beef example, so if you have a forty hectare farm, are you saying that we need to plant ten hectares of that farm, or for a forty hectare dairy farm, you need to plant two thirds of that farm? Uh, yeah. So. I, I probably should have meant, or I tried to mention that this is like additional. So this is an extremely probably this is a costly um, way of doing going about it, a forestation. Um, so this would be an additional land on top of your forty hectares. So you'd require another ten hectares or to offset the the emission from that system. So for one hectare of beef uh, land, you'd need a quarter hectare. Of forestry, so one and a quarter hectares altogether. So if you have 100 hectares, you're planting 25 hectares. You need to get 25 hectares from somewhere, yeah. Okay, okay. Um, kind of more policy related question. What do you think of the note in the farm to fork stating robust certification rules for carbon removals in agriculture and forestry are the first step to enable payments to farmers and foresters for the carbon sequestration that they provide? Yes, so I guess obviously when it comes to payments and uh, the common agricultural policy um, for carbon markets, then obviously there will be a requirement that uh, these um, improvements in carbon levels in the soil would have to be uh, verified, checked and robust. So I think this will be um, a very important part of um, any schemes going forward in this respect um, that um, there would have to be some level of soil monitoring measurement well not exact not measuring but, but more sampling and checking the the change intermittently over time in the levels of uh, soil organic matter or soil organic matter in the soil and I guess there's a question then around how deep do the soil samples need to be and what are we going to have to sample um, to verify what is actually happening at, at, at the different levels in, in the soil. And are you aware of any work being done, Donald, to, I suppose, quantify from a farm level or from a farm financial level what can, is required to be returned to the farmer to attain that extra 25% of beef land or that extra two thirds of, of dairy ground to put it into forestry or to put in some of those good agricultural practices that you've outlined? So I, sorry, Patrick. I, I'm so where, where's the incentive going to come from for the farmers? You know, like if farm to fork, if we're saying that farmers are going to be rewarded for doing this work, has there been any quantification of the money required? So I think really, we're, um, just from my understanding, and maybe Gary Lanigan might have a better uh, 
handle on this, but I think we're really just trying to get our better understanding of what's actually happening in the soil and levels of carbon storage and sequestration um, within the work that we have been doing. Um, so I guess it's probably hard to put, you know, payments or, or financial figures around that when we don't have a solid, I suppose, footing in regard to the amount of carbon that these practices are adding to the soil, um, which is, I suppose, a major challenge in itself. And how far away are we from that, Donald, in terms of quantifying that? So future work that's within, I guess, your pipeline and the pipeline work that research that Gary has ongoing. Yeah, I know that there is, a, I suppose, or there is through the Cashman's program, through the Signpost Farm Initiative, our, our program, uh, a plan to really up, uh, increase the amount of carbon monitoring on a, rep, on a larger number of sites across the country. And I think it's looking at like a five, three or, well, five-year time horizon to see what happens on those sites. Um, I suppose okay. to measure more sensitive to the different soil types and then from that, I suppose, to be able to, to I suppose, make, I suppose, payments that reflect the level of carbon that's being sequestered by these soils. Like, this is just my own thoughts. I'm not exactly how sure exactly how that would work that's probably the way it could go okay another question here if a national soil sampling program was considered is this sufficient to establish a baseline for carbon and how often would it need to be repeated yeah no that's, that's another very good question i think and if there was a soil sampling program put in place that could um at a national level it would be, I'd say, a very strong way of verifying what's happening on the ground. Um, I think it's what the EPA or what the inventories um, is really is their kind of absolute measure is the, what is actually happening um, in the levels of organic matter in those soils and measuring, I suppose, the bulk density of those soils is a different uh, angle or different aspect to be considered as well. But yeah. Putting in a program like that would be I'd, a very clear way and send a strong signal that um, we are actually very robustly measuring the levels of carbon in our soils and, and the change over time. And I suppose maybe through the advisory programs then, um, through I suppose the information and the knowledge that's being transferred, we should see over time hopefully an improvement in the levels of carbon uh, in the soil and that would I suppose then be transferred into inventory and I'd say that's probably the way it would have to go to get um, verification accepted. And is, the, is it possible to have it transferred in, into inventory like that or does it have to go through IPCC? Well I suppose I speak loosely there in that um, I suppose EPA inventory IPCC are probably all in in a similar loop. So if the EPA are, I suppose, implementing our in inventories, they would be following the IPCC guidelines. And I think, or I know that that's kind of from, from the measures of, or from the reports and, and from, from listening to their, uh, Philip, as I suppose he was one of the first speakers on the series, um, they're, they're the way that they're, um, I suppose, setting, setting the requirements for, for the verification. So I think what the EPA and the inventories are doing is really the same as, as the IPCC. Donald, okay. uh, a question there in relation to receding and the, 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 uh, I suppose what happens with, you, with grassland is that when you recede, you lose a substantial amount of, of carbon and then you build it up again over a period with a, a grassland in, in place. Are there measures in relation to uh, practices at receding that help to reduce those losses? Um. So I know from, I think, I'm not sure if James Humphreys covered it in his talk on, on low carbon dairy farming, but as, as he outlined, there was, I suppose, a large release of carbon from the soil, from the initial receding. Um, and I think it was through conventional receding, so plowing, uh, direct drilling. 
So maybe there's some, I suppose, practices around mintil or, you know, stitching, well, maybe not stitching in, but something like that, that would, you know, have less disturbance of the soil um, and even reducing the amount of time that our period the soil is exposed is really critical to the levels of organic matter that are lost and other things maybe like weather conditions etc you know having I suppose what is controllable obviously is limited but trying to do the best around those things would be ways maybe of limiting the loss and then as results there might be or there should be less um, the, the length of time for the carbon to re be recovered would be less and maybe build up slowly or gradually as well over time. And there's a, a few questions in relation uh, in relating to to drained uh, high organic matter soils and and their contribution and what can be done in, in in that space and what work is going on in in relation to that. Oh, you know, thanks for that. Yeah, I think. That's a very important piece of work that uh, I think the inventories and EPA are, are very very anxious to, to do because at the moment our grasslands um, based on the current science are considered actually a, a carbon source or a carbon loss because um, any of the grassland that's being farmed on those uh, wetlands um, is, is considered to be releasing large amounts of carbon so I suppose there's a job of work to be done there in, in ground shooting and checking those systems and to see um, are they, those drains still functional and um, if the water table was restored on, on those farms, would it really have a major detrimental impact on food production if those systems are already probably extensively stocked anyway? So I think that would be a very important uh, priority area to, to, to verify what's happening on that area of, of land and uh, what are kind of the practices that farmers could do that would, um, I suppose, minimize the carbon loss from, from those types of PT or, or, or organic soils. So I suppose just as a, a, a final point, what are the key areas of research that uh, you and your colleagues are, are involved in now? I know you've outlined a, 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 a good number of them in, in bits and pieces, but what are the key areas of research? And I suppose you might give us a, a, an idea of the extent of the research required for us to, I suppose, improve our sequestration, verify our sequestration, and deal with issues like uh, um, uh, plugging the losses in, in some of those uh, landscapes you're talking about. So uh, the key areas that, that we'll be working on, I suppose, in the immediate future are through the, the European Joint Programme on Soils, which is, I suppose, putting in 80 million across, uh, across the EU to, to look at um, soil health and soil carbon. I think, I suppose, logging the hotspots is a good way to describe what needs to be done on the heavy or, or the organic soils. And I, that's an area of work that uh, we're, I suppose, We'll be engaged with more with the department to, to verify um, what's happening on those soils. And then I suppose finally, in my own work, which is largely around modeling and simulation, I suppose to get a better understanding our, our models that are more sensitive to the changes that are happening. Obviously, I showed stocking right there and it was probably a little bit misleading in the figures, but it just shows, I guess, kind of where we're, we're where we are at um, and you would see similar things in France and other countries so getting I suppose more sensitive models is also probably another priority area as well. And, and in terms of uh, all, uh, uh, any possibility of payment of farmers uh, uh, for carbon sequestration this, this work is absolutely critical. Yes, I, I think so. Yeah, for the verification reporting, we have to do this this type of work. Otherwise, I just don't think it will will be approved, or it won't, it won't go um, it won't go anywhere. I don't think. Okay. Well, listen. Thank you very much. I think we we, we have to end it there. Uh, I, we could keep going for for quite a while. Uh, obviously, a key area of research into the in the future. Uh, thank you for sharing that with us, Donald. Uh, thanks, Padraig, for, for your help. Uh, 
just to, to remind you that next week uh, we're, I suppose, changing back to a uh, water issue again, where we will have uh, Ken Book from the Department of Agriculture talking about the uh, woodlands for water and the woodlands for water uh, uh, scheme that's, that's in place. Uh, so until then, uh, thank you from ourselves and our, our uh, co-hosts uh, and uh, look forward to seeing you again next week. Thank you. You've been listening to the podcast version of the Chagisk Signpost series, the weekly webinar that promotes and examines sustainability in Irish farming. Don't forget to join us live every Friday morning for our latest webinar. For more, visit chagisk.ie. And you can also rate, review and subscribe to the Signpost series on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Mark Gibson and thanks for listening.